This is Paul Moon, director of the documentary Samuel Barber, Absolute Beauty, and you're listening to the ninth episode of a now very occasional podcast series in the film's afterlife called Capricorn Conversations with people who would have fit right into that house named Capricorn where Barber and Minotti lived. I'm sitting here in the East Village of New York City with Pierre Brevignon, who stars in the documentary itself. And Pierre was the first author outside America to write a biography about Samuel Barber. Pierre, thank you for coming back to New York. Thanks for having me, Paul. What brings you here? Oh, uh, an altogether different story. It's not a biography, but I'm writing uh, uh, currently a novel. And some of uh, some parts of uh, this novel take place in uh, in New York. So instead of, uh, you know, traveling to New York via Google Maps and Google Street View, I figured it would be a good idea to be uh, on site. Great. It was great having you here. Yeah, yeah. So. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation that uh, recollects after of quite a few years since we last yeah. talked about Samuel Barber sure. in this in this context. Uh, I would love to know, first of all, if there is a story behind you creating this biographical book that added so much oh, yeah. to the world of understanding. I, I assume that it has a lot to do with publishers and timing and... Uh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. The, um, the first idea, when, when, when I began uh, fiddling with the idea of writing a book about a musician I loved, uh, Barber was not my first choice, actually. Uh, I thought about Copland, I must say. Uh, at the time, I had written um, two editions of um, Dictionary on Classical Music, uh, but in a funny and uh, uh, anecdotal uh, point of view. Uh, and I wrote also articles for um, the Opera de Paris programs, uh, and I wrote critics of uh, disc and uh, concert reviews uh, in magazines and uh, on websites. And I really wanted to, um, well, I felt sufficiently confident, confident enough to tackle a um, real big book uh, and a supposedly uh, important book uh, on a subject uh, that was um, close to my heart. And um, Having been having having worked in the publishing uh, business um, before writing books, I knew that uh, an important thing was anniversaries, uh, or so I thought at the time. And um, the closest uh, anniversary uh, that was coming was not Copland; it was um, Barber's. So I thought, well, after all, I like uh, every work I know of Barber's. Uh, I saw that. Uh, all of his works had been recorded um, at the time of their creation, their premiere, but also uh, with a younger generation of musician, musicians uh, up to the day I was uh, researching Bible. So I thought maybe there's something to, um, to explore here because this music is not only uh, music of the 60s, 70s, 80s, it's also a music performed nowadays by uh, young American, but not only American uh, musicians. So it's, it's alive. And strangely enough, you had nothing on Barber uh, in, in, in France. You had biographies of Bernstein, uh, but uh, Barber wasn't, uh, wasn't covered by uh, researchers, critics. So I forgot Copland and I uh, began to, uh, to research uh, Barber. I managed to have a publisher interested and so it was. It was. Uh, it was set. I began to work on the book in uh, 2007, eight, I guess. And the idea is to um, to have the book published uh, by 2010 for the 11th uh, anniversary of um, of Barber. But things got complicated, to say the least, uh, because I'm very slow. I'm a slow worker. I'm a slow researcher. I'm a slow writer. And the more I delved into uh, Barber's life and music, the more I wanted to uh, to explore and uh, and add uh, other details. And, uh, and at the same time, I had imposed to myself uh, a challenge. And this challenge was, I was almost sure that somewhere in France, another writer at the same time was writing a biography on Barber. I had discovered um, on the French classical uh, forum uh, a thread by a man 
with uh, with no with with name sorry uh, wasn't mentioned. It was just a, a pseudonym. Uh, but I had found a thread of like 20 to 30 pages of uh, like biographical sketches on Barber. And it was pretty, pretty interesting, well written. And you can, you felt that the guy has an intimate connection to Barber. So in my mind, it was obvious that this man had, had made the same calculation as I, and as he was writing a book for 2010. So for three to four to five years uh, each time i was uh, in a library especially in uh, in new york uh, or philadelphia uh, i looked on the register if uh, the registry sorry if there was a name a french name of someone who would have been there before me and i really didn't uh, manage to shake uh, off this feeling that i i had the breath of another french writer on my neck you know so uh, it was kind of strange and and very paranoid and when i was uh, interviewing people i tried by several different and uh, mischievous way to um, to know if by any chance uh, they would have met another french writer before me or well okay so uh, eventually my book uh, my book um, was published with uh, one year of delay so it was uh, the end of 2011 so it wasn't for the 100th uh, birthday of Barber uh, birth, but uh, rather the 13th, uh, 30th uh, birthday of uh, anniversary of Barber's death. Uh, and a few weeks, well, I had the luck of uh, having uh, gotten great reviews on my book, so I was quite happy for that. And a few weeks after my book was published and uh, the reviews began to uh, come, uh, I, I, I get back to I got back to the forum to see if you know anyone was talking about my book, uh, and I saw uh, a, a message by, by this mysterious man who wasn't uh, speaking of my book, but he was making a review on a very good review of my book, and he, it was very strange. And he said, "Oh, well, it's, it's strange because the journalist says very nice thing about this book, and at the same time." Uh, he gives only four star out of five to uh, the book, so it, it mustn't be that good, you know. <laughs> and end of the paranoid era. Uh, maybe six months later, uh, I go to the Wikipedia article, uh, Barber, and I realize that there's a new work added to the um, to the list of works. And as you know, you know anyone can change an article on Wikipedia. But uh, the work was, I would say, plausible. You know, it was a, a work for a, a flute and piano. The title was in French, and as you know, Barber was fluent in French. Uh, and it was at the time where he had met Manfred Ebel, who was uh, an amateur uh, flautist. So it made sense, you know, he wrote the canzone for flute and piano for, uh, for Manfred, so why not another piece uh, for him? And the French title was very enigmatic. It was Scorvatch est mort. Scorvatch is dead. I had absolutely no idea who Scorvatch could be. So I began to uh, pick my phone and call people and experts and scholars, including Barbara Heinemann, to, to ask her, but do you know if Barbara knew a man named Scorvatch? Uh, no, no. She didn't think uh, there was uh, such a uh, such, uh, man in, uh, in Barbara's uh, life. Uh, besides, he told me I've never heard of the of the work, so it may be a joke, a prank. Uh, and I did some research on the word Scorvatch, and <laughs> Scorvatch uh, it exists. It's uh, it's um, uh, an English slang, and it's the name uh, one gives to a third nipple. Strangely <laughs> enough. Uh, but it's also the name you give to someone uh, who is, you know, um, at a date between two lovers. There's a third person arriving, and no one wants uh, her to be here, to be there, and uh, she's the Scorvatch. Well, it didn't uh, help me to understand what with, with this work was, but I realized that it must have been my own personal nemesis, the man of the forum, you know, who added this work uh, in the article just to make my biography look outdated, you know, so soon. 
So, you know, it ended the, the paranoid era for me. I promptly erased the, the title uh, from the list of works. And well, that was the, uh, that was the end of my uh, relation uh, as a writer to, uh, to Barber. And then after that, you know, you have to, 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 to live with your love for Barber, for his music. I had the, the chance to, uh, to meet you and we had the, uh, I had the pleasure to, uh, to work on your documentary. So uh, it was like uh, a baton, you know, that was passed from one lover to, to another. I heard you. I heard you say that you uh, have difficulty finishing and projects yeah. and slow. Yeah. So I, I personally imagine that maybe the, the spirit of Samuel Barber was this writer over your shoulder. Oh, maybe it was egging him. you on to get it done faster to yeah. beat the other yeah, uh, yeah. I, I artificial this, nemesis. I had this um, this picture. I had both in New York uh, uh, photos. Of uh, Ruth Orkin, you know, mm -hmm. um, she she had uh, taken a picture of uh, Barber, young Barber, seated, uh, sit um, uh, against uh, a, a tree, tree trunk yeah. with with the cigarette, right? And he's, uh, he has a cigarette and he's looking straight into the, uh, the camera, and he likes um, wag his waggle his uh, his finger, you know, saying. Well, I guess he was joking with Ruth Orkin, but when when I saw him, you know. Um, uh, in, in my office, I was, I had the, the impression that he was telling me, you better hurry, you know, you're missing my anniversary. <laughs> sure, yeah. Well, I, I know that you, uh, there, it's far, there's far too much information and uh, to even scratch the surface when it comes to what's in your book. But it's a healthy question to ask and interesting to know in hindsight. What do you? What did your book add to the existing scholarship on Samuel Barber at the time, and maybe even still now, because you brought a different perspective than others would have? Well, I think uh, I brought well uh, to to speak largely. I, I I brought a European perspective, and that wasn't um, far stretched because, as you know, Barber had a love for Europe, the the culture and the music of Europe. Uh, and my point, really, for the French reader, was to um, to show that uh, Barber's music was relevant for European uh, listeners and musicians. Um, I guess if I had wrote a book uh, on Copland, the perspective would have been almost exclusively American. Mm. You know, mm. with Barber, it's it's um, reductive. You know, so that's why I wanted to um, to interview uh, lots of musicians from Europe. You know, I had, I had the, the sheer luck to uh, to gather the memories of uh, Dietrich Fischer Diskau, for instance, uh, who was uh, the, the commissioner and uh, who premiered the, the last of the uh, song cycles by uh, by Barber, uh, and he told me very moving and uh, interesting things. Um, that's what I wanted to show that uh, Barber's music uh, had its place in uh, European uh, concert halls. You know, specifically, I, you mentioned he was fluent in French. Uh, it might just be the product of being a Renaissance man, a well-educated man. But besides that, is there any clues that you can give us that he was literally sort of a hopeless Francophile? Um, Besides the friendships he had, oh, okay. Um, I guess well, okay. We we, we all agree that uh, Barber was a, a bit snob, you know. And for him, you know, speaking French, having French friends, uh, was a, a sign of ref refinement and uh, elegance. Well, he, he was naturally elegant, but. Um, you know, uh, his, his closest friend, or his two closest friend, uh, French friends, were uh, Francis Poulenc, which was, uh, we say in France, uh, in French, un titi parisien. That is, uh, a guy, you know, of the suburbs of uh, Paris, even if Poulenc was from a very wealthy family, you know. But he had this, uh, this hair of uh, a guy like, uh, yeah, a guy. Not a gentleman, you know, but a guy. Uh, and the other very good friend was a baron, uh, Henri B. de Lagrange. So with Henri B. de Lagrange... Well, that would be the person who also uh, wrote, wrote quite a lot about Mahler. Absolutely. And Mahler was the reason why, that's strange to say, uh, but that's uh, Lagrange who told me that, uh, was the reason, reason of the, the drift between uh, Barber and uh, Lagrange. When Lagrange told Barber that uh, he was going to write... Uh, 
mammoth biography and several volumes uh, about Mahler, uh, Barber would tell him, but you're wasting your time. Is it rivalry uh, as to the other composer, or could it be a distaste for Mahler, which I actually would kind of... I, I mean, uh, Mahler has never been among uh, the list of uh, the composer that uh, Barber revered, you know. Uh, he adored Brahms, as you know, he adored Wagner also. Uh, but uh, Mahler has never been uh, among his, uh, his tastes. Well, yesterday we attended a concert of Barber's summer music here in New York City, and it was paired with the wind quintet of Poulon. Yeah. And I would say these composers are often paired together in concerts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, so, for... you know, how did they pair in real life? I mean, for example, are they similar to their respective countries in terms of when they arrived, what kinds of music they wrote? Um, yeah, how... how... Mm, interesting. Um... I would say the main difference was that from a very early age, uh, Barber was not interested in uh, writing American music. You know, mm. he began, uh, he, he became, sorry, uh, one of the uh, most important uh, uh, composers of uh, of America. But that was not his point at all. And uh, we could even even stretch the the thing, saying that most and foremost, he. he, he he tried not to emulate, but to get inspiration for uh, the, the great masters of uh, European music. I mean, Bach, uh, Brahms, Beethoven. Well, then tell me about Poulenc. And Poulenc, that, uh, as only, he only wanted to, to, to write French music, you know. Not in a patriotic way, you know. But he wanted to, um, to, 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 how could I say, um, find the sounds of French countries, French countryside also, when you think of his uh, Concert Champêtre, uh, when you think of uh, uh, his songs, you know, uh, uh, many are uh, about Paris, about the cities, and that's, that's really what you, 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 you wanted to, um, to be, uh, um, a musician, a composer, the uh, Faubourg, you know, of the Faubourg. Not a, not a bourgeois composer, but um, someone, well, you know, that's a funny, funny thing. Um, I happened to organize a concert uh, in France uh, with Barber's music, of course. As seen in the film, yes, because the Rosamond Quartet plays... Uh, yeah. Uh, the Quatuor Rosamond, is it? Quatuor uh, Rosamond, yeah. yeah. Uh, in an, uh, well... Uh, they perform the, the, the whole repertoire of uh, string quartet, which is which which is, which, which is sorry not big, but uh, the three works for string quartet paired with uh, Brahms and uh, Webern, I guess. Yeah, um, no, not Webern, sorry, uh, Wolf Hugo Wolf. But no, no, I, I thought about the uh, another um, concert uh, of uh, of songs, uh, piano voice. And uh, I had paired Poulenc with uh, with, ba with Barber, and I had found interesting uh, photos for the for the poster and the program. Uh, on one, you saw um, Barber at a cocktail, you know, with uh, very elegant, with a bow tie, and he was seated just next to uh, Marlene Dietrich, you know, and she looked bored to death, you know. Well. Uh, and the other f other photo, the other picture uh, that I put just under the, the, the barber pic uh, was of Poulenc uh, in a cafe in Paris and he has, you know, his, uh, his elbow uh, on the counter and he's joking with the guy behind the counter, you know, and, and he has a, a, a glass of wine, you know. And I titled uh, the, pro the, the concert um, Le Dandy et le Voyou. You know, so it, it sums up, finally, uh, the main trait of Barber, for me at least, and the main trait of Poulenc's music. Um, an easy music. That is not to say an easy listening music, but it's something that is pleasing to hear immediately. And at the same time, you have uh, dissonant notes, you have uh, vigorous rhythms, and uh, it can be... By the way, the, the, the guy yesterday at the concert uh, intros, introduced um, uh, the, 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 sex, the sextet by Poulenc by saying it could, it could sound a little harsh, you know, and I found it surprising because it is, I guess, uh, the most seducive uh, music you can hear, you know. It's, it's funny and it's fun. 
And it's beautiful. I hear that. Yeah. Well, we may think of, uh, and this is honestly, I, I love to also see what a biographer, uh, how, how a biographer feels about their subject as a human, not just in the musicological sense and so on. So you got to know him after spending so much time with Barber. So, I mean, this place called Capricorn, this house, was the setting of gatherings of artists, composers, musicians, and so on. Um, I just, this is a small question, Mm -hmm. but what impression would you have walking in there and seeing Barber? Would he recede into the background and be a quiet person or would he an introverted person no that that his music suggests yeah or did you find out in your research that he was kind of more in the opposite direction that his no, music implies i, I would i would say that uh, well barber lived with minotti at capricorn and uh, not only did they um, work and uh, and create uh, each one in a separate ring you know uh, at capricorn but they also organized uh, parties and sometimes uh, quite crazy in parties. And the two of them um, had, their, had their part, you know. It was not a uh, good guy, uh, bad guy, good cop, bad cop, you know. But uh, it, was, um, it was known that uh, Minotti was the joyous person uh, who liked to uh, uh, make people uh, happy and, and love, and, you know. And, and Barber, on the other side, would, would play the, uh, not the opposite part, but... He was more um, wry, you know. He was he had a sense of humor that could be that could hurt sometimes. Uh, and I well, I, I have I have um, uh, discovered some uh, testimonies, some, some memories of person who were at the at the parties, saying, for instance, that uh, uh, sometimes Barber uh, couldn't uh, uh, support the, the the noise, the frivolity, and he had to retreat. Uh, in the restrooms, you know, <laughs> you know, and he just asks uh, that regularly someone, a guest, uh, brings him a cocktail in the restroom. Into know? the bathroom, yeah, just yeah, stay yeah. in there. Yeah, 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 because there was too much noise, too much people, you know. But, uh, but all in all, um, I think that at the end of his life, mainly, Barber was uh, a lonely person. But uh, even if he was uh, more um, subdued than Menotti's, and probably that tons of people were more, more subdued than the minority. Uh, he, he, he was quite happy to have people around him, to have, uh, you know, he, it was important that um, even if the Capricorn is, uh, as you know, a pretty secluded uh, house, you know, in the countryside, Barber always said, you know, he was, uh, he was a boy of the countryside. So even if the, the, the house they chose to, uh, to buy and inhabit for 40 years, I guess, was uh, in the middle of almost nowhere, you know. Uh, it was important for Barber and also for Menotti to have the possibility to bring back friends. And it happened quite uh, quite often, almost almost every weekend, you know. Also, uh, a fun kind of trivia, trivial question, really, okay. is also to just exp- to, to, to tease the idea. Uh, we were just at the Metropolitan Museum of Art today, mm-hmm. And that experience of going to any art museum, it's all, these are all wonderful works of art, but everybody gravitates to certain rooms and certain artists and certain mm-hmm. paintings. So just personally, which rooms do you think Barber would have wandered into and spent the most time in and which artist, which yeah. painting? One can only guess. Well, my, my, my feeling, you know, is that uh, as refined and, uh, and, and, and beautiful and, and moving uh, Barber's music was, I'm not sure he had a great taste in arts, you know. Yeah. Tell me more. Well, uh, I, I, I won't personally t- tell you, but I know that Italo Calvino, uh, I found in a, in a letter by, by Calvino, the, the, the Italian writer, uh, a, a recollection of a party uh, at um, at Barber's and Minotti's house, and he, he was saying um, they have absolutely no taste at all. That means they have they have all the taste, <laughs> you know. So he was pretty horrified by the the the, the way the rooms were decorated. Uh, they could be, you know, wonderful sculpture by uh, Marini Marino Marini. Uh, Henry Moore, I guess, too, and at the same time, very, very uh, ugly uh, masks on the wall and uh, very naive 
paintings. Oh, you know what? I don't, <laughs> I don't want to sound rude because I know you love him. But and, uh, and of course, he, he's a, he's an interesting painter. But maybe, maybe Barber would have gone to the room where uh, he would have seen uh, paintings by the Douanier Rousseau. Mm-hmm. That could have been that. Okay. Yeah. I love to just simply talk about some pieces of music, and again, as, uh, each each piece could itself be, and you do in your book, mm-hmm. um, really uh, dissect these different pieces. But it kind of in the context of the fact that there actually was uh, a CD of archival recordings yeah. that originally came with your book. Um, I'm just to say them, to list them, it was the Adagio for Strings, then it was the Symphony in One Movement, the Violin Concerto, the Capricorn Concerto, and then ended with Souvenirs. Um, I yeah, think well, I, may, I may have included uh, Dover Beach. Yeah, okay. Probably, yeah. yeah. Uh, any of these resonate in, in particular with you? I think Adagio for Strings is automatic, uh, uh, but beyond that... Um, oh, well, well, my, 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 well the, the, the program of the CD in my book, um, I, I had the, the, the luck to, um, to, to, to set it up myself, you know, with... Uh, the help of, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I, I forgot his name, but the guy who was uh, pivotal and uh, uh, in, in, the, in the making of this uh, big box set of uh, Barber's archives. So I'm sorry, I, I forgot his name, but he said basically choose whatever you want, you know. Yeah, uh, so why these choices? Well, because I wanted to, well, uh, I wanted to, to, to offer, well, first of all, I wanted full works. I didn't want, didn't want except, you know, one movement of a symphony, one movement of a concerto. Uh, and I wanted, well, I, I think I just picked the, the the performances that I liked the most. And especially because at the time it wasn't available, um, uh, the souvenir by uh, this uh, duo of pianists, absolutely amazing, so amazing that I can't remember their name. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me who they were. Uh, the Boys. Well, I, I uh, have, my favorite recording is with uh, Leonard Slacken playing along with John Browning. Uh, yeah, but that okay. came later than probably this no, archival no, recording. Gold, Golden Fitzdale. I see. Okay. Uh, so uh, you, you, you've heard of them? You yes, know them? sure. Okay. So uh, as you know, they were not only brilliant pianists, they were also uh, party goers and they were very fond of uh, cooking. And I think among their uh, achievements you, you you have not only not only have you great recordings uh, for for piano duo you also have a book of recipes and i think they also have written a biography of misia cert i have to check but uh, so you see they were all over the place uh, and this uh, this um, this work souvenir is very often performed uh, and recorded you know, e- even nowadays. I've never heard a performance so moving and so to the point uh, that th- that uh, this version by, by Golden Fitzdale, because it has everything Barber asked. You know, he, he wrote extensive uh, program notes for this, uh, for this work, you know, including um, like little uh, cinematographic programs for each movement. You know, saying, oh, the first movement, it is set in a, in an hotel, in the ballroom. This one is, well. Uh, so, for me, Souvenir is uh, as close as you get of uh, a soundtrack for a, a film that doesn't exist, you know. Uh, you and I, we don't understand why uh, Barber never uh, get to write uh, film music. Uh, this is is only film music, only the, the film doesn't exist. And Golden Fitzdale, they are absolutely perfect. Uh, they are frivolous, but they're also very deep. You know, there's a, a slow movement uh, called, uh, I don't, is it Hesitation Tango? No, I'm not sure. I can't recall, but I remember a tango somewhere. Yeah. Um, but a slow movement that is dramatic, really. I mean, you, you you think you think of the the dance contest uh, in the in the depression era, for instance. For me, it's this music. You know, it's interesting that you say that he. It's it's a bit of a mystery that he never wrote for mm-hmm. Hollywood. Uh, that industry was developing in his lifetime. Um, what he seems to be most programmed frequently 
is his pure music, his symphonies and concertos mm -hmm. and these types of things. Um, his attempts to fuse his own com compositions with drama or dance or operatic forms, I think there are a lot of people who say that wasn't his strength. He did deliver Vanessa, um, which actually does leave some people unsatisfied, maybe opera goers, but it's revered in the, in the canon as a great opera of his. But yeah. of course we all know uh, and need not repeat the story of Antony and Cleopatra. Never heard of this. No. <laughs> and is that at the feet of Barber? Not exactly. Even the core composition, despite the surroundings of the opening of the Metropolitan Opera House. Um, but yeah, is this something that you agree with or at least think that Barber never really fit into the storytelling um, whole storytelling now granted songs are storytelling but those are more poetry aren't there they're settings of poetry yeah, yeah. The more, barber the more didn't like... take on the telling of whole stories uh quite successfully uh one could say could say as well yes maybe because uh as far opera is concerned you know uh it was of course collective works you know uh and Eventually, uh, Vanessa, the libretto is uh, is by uh, Menotti. Mm -hmm. Menotti was uh, an expert in the field of uh, opera, so it was almost uh, as if uh, it was Menotti telling the story. You know, even if it's at the beginning, you know, it's uh, Isaac Dinsen uh, story. Uh, so maybe Barber, you know, uh, I don't think he, he felt like stolen from the desire to tell a story. But in the end, you know, uh, the, 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 the Vanessa uh, was very long to, uh, to, 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 to get, you know, she, she, it, the work was, uh, the libretto was, uh, was stuck at a certain stage. Baba wouldn't compose the music. And I guess almost one year uh, went by without uh, any new addition to the score or the libretto. So the fact that... Uh, it's a collective work, so of course you have uh, as many chances to uh, to make errors that uh, there are people contributing to your work, you mm -hmm. know. Collaborative. Collaborative, yeah. yeah. Uh, at the same time, well, you know, I think it's a question of alchemy, as you know. Uh, for me, the Barber's best opera is Knoxville, summer of 1915, and it's not an opera. Mm -hmm. But it's uh, the text is by James G. Uh, Barber discovered uh, it's it's a long um, prose poem, very jazzy in its rhythm, and Barber discovered it uh, reading, I guess, uh, an anthology of like the poems of the years, of the year, sorry, uh, and it immediately struck a chord, an intimate chord, you know. Uh, it's interesting you say that because it seems as though you enter into literary rules when the mediums of opera and theater and even dance are now part of the recipe, you know? Yeah. It reminds me, earlier this week we went to see a rearrangement, if you will, or a re-envisioning of um, some Schubert songs yeah. at the Park Avenue Armory yeah. that was named Doppelganger after mm -hmm. the final song in mm -hmm. that last of Schubert's song cycles. And uh, your comment was it was opera. <laughs> yeah, but it certainly too. wasn't a in, meant as a storytelling libretto. But the stage director ended up telling a pretty interesting story. Pretty interesting story, and uh, in my opinion, it was it was not even a reggae theater uh, move, you know, because when you when you read uh, the lyrics of uh, Schubert's song, uh, the one selected for this evening, it makes perfect sense. Uh, the story told by. Uh, uh, Schubert in his song uh, is uh, almost literally taken by the uh, the stage director Klaus uh, Gut, and it makes something that looks like an opera. At well, least there's music for a scene from Shelley that isn't really even bound uh, to uh, anything that. Oh, about, uh, from Shelley, you mean? Yeah, no. it, it, the, there are there are these things that are not made for theatrical presentation, but simply exist on their own. It could be, you know, the the, the Chile music could be um, could be a ballet, probably. Uh, I have to check, but it's possible that it has uh, been choreographed, you know. Um, but these are examples of like the uh, essays for orchestra of uh, pure music, uh, 
I'm not sure there is an impure music, but <laughs> uh, at least, you know, it's not even, uh, as for Chalet, the Chalet music, it's, it's not even um, an argument. Uh, the, the, the Chalet is uh, it's just a line or two in a poem of Chalet, I guess. Uh, and it was like the, you know, the, the, the spark that uh, uh, ignited the, the, the flame. Uh, that was all, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess uh, it leads to. I think what, what what I'm thinking of alongside that is going to become especially timely, and it's always sort of dogged this legacy. It's very reductive to think about who are the great American composers, mm-hmm. but we still think of pantheons as such. And uh, there's going to be a movie coming out soon about the life of Leonard Bernstein. Um, Samuel Barber will not get such a, a biopic. Uh, at least it seems for the foreseeable future. But in the mid 20th century, I think it's interesting to go back in time and think about how all of them were pretty big names, especially in a music world where the music that they were composing were, I guess you could say pop music, or at least uh, had a lot more cover, yeah. a lot more play. Yeah. Um, what did your research tell you about Barber's celebrity at the time? Sometimes it even comes down to the numbers, how often he was performed, yeah, yeah, how much it. he was celebrated, well, uh, relative to Bernstein and Copeland, in even, fact. Even, even if Barber died uh, convinced that uh, his music would be forgotten and that he would be forgotten, uh, as you said, the numbers are here. From his young age to his death, his music has always been performed uh, not only in America, also in Europe. And uh, when he was the most uh, depressed, that is in the 70s, the, the 10 or 15 uh, uh, last years of, uh, of his life, he always complains that uh, now the music had to be uh, abstract and uh, atonal and that uh, uh, his music would disappear from the, the concert program. But every, every year, every, every end of year, uh, the uh, the ASCAP uh, published uh, uh, a ranking of the most uh, performed uh, composer in America. Barber was always al- al- um, sorry. Bar- Barber was always in the in the top three, you know. So so not only was he performed, but uh, his works, you know, uh, on the money and uh, so so he has he has never uh, fell uh, out of. Uh, interest you know people always wanted to hear and, and it's even you could say oh yeah yeah because of the adagio but it's not only the adagio i mean he, uh, violin concerto cello concerto piano concerto vanessa uh, all this were summer music uh, all these works were uh, performed on a regular basis and um, i think the, f- the fact that uh, uh, barber wouldn't uh, acknowledge this reality tells a lot about uh, how he felt uh, disconnected from uh, from his, uh, his time you know uh, basi- basically um, as soon uh, I have to check the date but as soon as um, Boulez uh, took the uh, direction of uh, was the, the, the conductor of the New York Philharmonic that must have been in 73 or later 73 I guess <laughs> Barber uh, complained that it, it was the end of the, the music he loved and that uh, not only his music but also uh, all the, 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 the classical composer of the romantic uh, canon or classical canon uh, would disappear from, uh, from the, the, the program. And besides, uh, at, the, at the time, Boulez was extremely vocal about his, um, his intention of uh, almost cancelling uh, Brahms, Beethoven, back. I can't avoid asking you about Boulez. Um, I think there, there's plenty in the documentary. Um, a, one should just simply listen to your anecdote um, that actually revealed uh, a story of Boulez telling Barber how to compose better. Yeah. <laughs> but jokes aside, I mean, his influence on modern music in the time of Barber really did have that impact you're describing. Um, what now can we do? Reflecting back on that, what did Barbara really have to worry about? Things got better eventually, didn't they? And uh, it almost, the timing is sad, one could say, isn't it? I mean, mean, it's it's as if um, Barbara had taken seriously, too seriously, the uh, anathemas of uh, of Boulez. Mm. Uh, 
about the dreams of, uh, of Boulez, you know. Um, the world domination that he yeah, was... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, of uh, serial music and... Uh, I mean, uh, even when, when, when Schoenberg discovered um, the 12-tone composition, uh, he said, was it him or Weber? No, no, I think it's Schoenberg, that um, he had found a way for German music to reign over uh, classical music for a uh, hundred years. Maybe a thousand, I don't know. Well, uh, but even that, you know, uh, uh, didn't happen. Uh, not because uh, dodecaphonism disappeared; it's still on. Uh, composer still likes to um, to write music uh, with uh, twelve-tone rows, but uh, it doesn't um, cancel the rest of the classical music, the, the tonal music. So it's it's pretty strange that uh, Barber should have been that impressed by uh, Boulez's uh, threat you know to think that uh, it was over was there even a continuity to this uh, sort of um, uh, uh, preference of Boulez and and contemporaries of his time who who felt that way in other words how consistent were they in their um, preferences well meaning uh, they would conduct other composers absolutely. who were tonal and in the yeah. late romantic tradition like barber the the, the, the way well Boulez as a composer has always uh, written uh, style music uh, uh, some eventually palatable and some really hard to I mean the piano sonata or, or something I, you know I really can't uh, enter into this music but for instance Le Marteau Sans Maître it's a masterwork and I like to listen to it and okay. but as a composer Boulez was uh, pretty consistent you know at the same time uh, that didn't uh, uh, he, he, I mean he, he could he could as a conductor conduct uh, romantic music and uh, liking it you know so uh, and he was a big uh, advocate, advocate of uh, Mahler's. We, we can't uh, uh, omit that, uh, that point, you know. Uh, so so um, under this uh, angle, you could say Boulez wasn't entirely uh, consistent because if he was so sure that uh, tonal music had to disappear and... Uh, well, uh, I'm not sure he would have conducted uh, Bruckner symphonies, for instance, or uh, or, uh, or Wagner, or you know, because uh, what what Boulez has uh, conducted, apart from the the Ring, of course, uh, he also conducted um, Wagner's uh, youth composition, uh, this Oratorio on the Apostles. I guess he also conducted uh, overtures like Columbus overtures, you know, so. He was, as a conductor, he was much more open-minded uh, than as a as a composer. And of course, there are several composers that uh, Boulez would have never conducted. I don't know if you're familiar with this French uh, composer named André Jolivet. Mm. No? Okay. Uh, he wrote absolutely gorgeous music for flute and orchestra. Uh, and he was... You could say uh, an official composer, but I mean, Boulez was uh, another kind of official composer. Anyway, there was a big fight between Jolivet and, uh, and Boulez, ignited by, by Boulez, and, uh, and Boulez uh, ended up uh, insulting Jolivet and telling him, telling, telling him that uh, he was a joli navet. It's a stupid um, pun saying he was a, a beautiful turnip. <laughs> whatever <laughs> but okay so uh, all jokes aside you know uh, of course uh, Boulez uh, um, uh, would never for the, for, the, for the life of him uh, conduct uh, this kind of composers well closer to home did Poulenc ever express or articulate a, a sort of idea of suffering under that climate himself or did he not care or did he not need that gatekeeping you know, you know when, when, when Boulez uh, well uh, Poulenc he died in 63 I guess I see uh, when Boulez uh, arrived, it was in the 50s, 60s, yeah. Uh, I, I, well, we, we'll have to check his date. Um, anyway, uh, but when Boulez was at the, 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 the peak of its power, it was in the 70s, 80s, uh, and, and Poulenc was, uh, was dead. Uh, and, uh, you know, Poulenc has always been a favorite of... Uh, uh, concert programmers in uh, in France, so there was never uh, tensions between the two. Mm. 
I think going back to the other, the, the game or riddle of what would it be like to see Barber in a social setting, even at Capricorn. I think another thing that's interesting is the book that you wrote, a short book after your biography. Yep. It might have been a, a break from the yeah. enorm enormity of the biographical project. It was called the. It was about the French group of six. Yes. Among them was Poulenc. Yeah. Uh, love to hear first of all who the six were and uh, were they all composers or not? It's I recall that they're not. But also, would Barber have even been? A candidate or invited or enjoyable in that mix? No, uh, you know, in the in the well, uh, to to answer um, your question, uh, the, the six were um, a, a group of six young musicians uh, that Jean Cocteau uh, created basically from scratch uh, at the beginning of the twenties, uh, and well, you know, Cocteau was a uh, a sort of uh, superpower, you know, as a promoter, and uh, in a few in a few months' time, he 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 made he made from these uh, six uh, unknown composer like trailblazers of new music and okay. uh, well, so like Andy Warhol in this neighborhood. He, uh, well, if you want, but Andy Warhol, you know, he lasted uh, longer than the six. The six just lasted like three years, if you're generous, and then. Each one has uh, had, had his, its own um, career, uh, and the only three who had a real, real, I don't know if it's the term, but uh, enduring uh, career uh, were uh, Oneguer, uh, Milo, Darius Milo, uh, and Poulenc. And uh, I mean, they're absolutely great composers, there's no, no question. The three others were much less successful. Uh, there was a, a woman named Germaine Taifer, and I think to remember, I seem to remember that she she she, she died in the in the U.S. Uh, she lived in the U.S. for a time, and I guess she died there. Uh, uh, another guy named uh, Louis Duret, uh, whose music is very 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 interesting. Is Generally, the, the less known of the six, but he, you have to check uh, his chamber music, you know. Uh, and the last one was uh, Georges Auric, uh, who had an official career uh, in the music uh, administration in France and was barely known for his uh, um, film scores for uh, Jean Cocteau movie, you know. Uh, what was the intrigue of documenting and telling the story of the group of six? Were they did they have riotous meetings? Were they influential in their time? Well, there uh, there were riots, but uh, generally they were uh, launched by uh, Satie. Satie was like the father-in-law of the six, you know, uh, and he was so bitchy. He kept telling terrible things uh, to one of the six saying, oh, you know, that uh, Oneguer told this about you. And, uh, and it, of course, you know, it, it, uh, it created tensions between them. But they were friends, first and foremost. So there was really never a, a, a fight between them. The only fight, and it was barely a fight, was uh, the day uh, Louis Duret decided to leave the group after maybe one year. And he decided to leave the group because he couldn't stand uh, Cocteau anymore. Cocteau was everywhere. Uh, and Cocteau was basically trying to explain to the composer how they should write music, you know. And Dure, he, had, uh, he was fed up with that. So one day he said, okay, I'm out of here. And, uh, well, <laughs> that's the funny thing, that Dure left. Uh, Cocteau um, began to ask to the other composer, okay, uh, now we are known, you are known at, uh, as Le Groupe des Six. But there's only five uh, of, of you, so who could be the, the new six? And they didn't think of, you know, anyone. So Cocteau said, well, okay, okay, so you're only five, but if, uh, in any case, if there are pictures taken of you by journalists, just tell me and, and I'll be the six, you know. So this was the kind of mindset, you know, of, of Cocteau. I mean, to clean up my silly question, then, uh, let's say that I'm a casting agent and I insist that you must cast Barber as the sixth member in this case. How it, would this guy would function in oh, this group? Oh, well, uh, for, for sure. I, I'm pretty sure that uh, there would be a, there would have been a fight between Cocteau and, uh, and Barber. Pretty, pretty sure of that. But 
some of Barber's music could have fit. Maybe summer music, you know, could have been performed in the sixth concert. And uh, if you think of it, uh, remember Menotti's uh, Festival of the Two Worlds uh, in Italy? Uh, he organized some kind of uh, evening of music, of cabaret music. Uh, and maybe it could have been a good fit uh, for the six. And who knows, maybe they would have been... Uh, uh, they would have played after the concert after Barber, we, with Barber and uh, something could have occurred of that. It's a possibility. Well, uh, when you spend so much of your life as a biographer, such a gigantic project as you took on, um, sometimes these lead to second editions. Barbara Heyman just had her mm -hmm. second edition. Sometimes that's because of interesting intervening events. Yeah. I think for the first time she told you uh, yesterday the story of a dumpster suitcase yeah, that was yeah, discovered sure. that yeah. added to a, a more fuel for a second edition. I don't think there's a, you know, a compelling need for a second edition after your work, but I guess I, as a, as another tease, yeah. what if you could, uh, what, or to say another way, it, it's a two part thing is first, yeah. how have your thoughts, your own personal thoughts changed over the years? What would your preface read to a second edition? But also, what new information do you have, if if at all? Hey, as I told you, um, uh, after the biography, maybe three to four to five years uh, passed where I, when I, I was completely immersed in Barber's music, you know, as a, an aftermath. And then um, a strange phenomenon occurred. It is that I, 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 I almost turned the page, you know, and, and so... I'm not very up to date with the, the new development of uh, Barber's research, you know. Uh, if I had to imagine a second edition, well, first of all, I would um, uh, read my my previous edition and try to add something. I don't know. Uh, well, to ex to expand uh, the relationship between Barber and uh, and the other person of his entourage, you know that that's. I mean, as a human being, he was so so deep and uh, deeply connected. All the people I've interviewed uh, during my research were, were absolutely fascinating paper, people, you know. Uh, so I would want to give even more justice to their relationship to, uh, to Barber. But if I had to write another uh, second edition, I, I will spend a year in the dumpsters of New York, you know, searching for new suitcases full of documents on Barber. <laughs> I, 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 I look with admiration, though, at the, the history of book publishing and mm -hmm. the way that that used to support these types of massive projects yeah. where you really could dedicate years of your life to a single study like this. And, yeah. uh, it does feel like a, an art form that that is endangered or is maybe even extinguished or extinguishing. Um, it is a great thing what you did to yeah. really thoroughly... Um, just spend so much time and energy. And, and there's a very, very good reason to that. It's that Barber is fascinating. It's someone you want to know. Great. Well, Pierre, it was uh, great to follow up. It was a pleasure. Uh, but I think uh, people... Uh, now, granted, the status of this great biography is that it remains a French-language biography. Yeah. There is no English translation. No, 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 no. But, uh, uh, of course, you have written... You are writing now a fiction novel for yeah. the first time. Yeah. And so I hope that will be translated and uh, finished. And then I could just, you know, take... Oh, by the way, there is this biography of Baba. You could translate it too. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe, or maybe... Uh, someone will egg you on with a, a edit to a Wikipedia entry that will push you to yeah. <laughs> finish the work. Another work. Yeah. Thanks, Pierre, for Thanks updating for us.